Blog Talk Radio. I was eating junk. I had just had two children back to back. I used to not be able to get on the ground. I never, ever daily exercise. Before, if I'd get down, I'd need a chair or something to help me get back up. I was 84 pounds heavier at one time. I was always a big dude, but I couldn't move around. That all changed when they met. Diamond Dallas Page. Started doing yoga, man. I started doing a, a thing called DDP yoga. It's Nacho Mama's yoga. WCW heavyweight champion, known for his signature move, the Diamond Cutter. Diamond Cutter! Took what he learned recovering from an injury and years in the ring and created DDP Yoga. Working out combined with the eating habits, it was a huge difference. I felt so much better. It's a lot of fun for me because I never used to be able to be active. Now I'm, I'm, I'm on the floor, I'm rolling around, it's, it's pretty cool. More than importantly, I just want to be alive. I'm down about 110 pounds. DDP Yoga can work for anyone. DDP. DDP. Radio. My fellow DDP Yoga Warriors, it is Wednesday night. It is 9 p.m. where I currently reside right here on the penthouse suite of the DDP Radio Megaplex in beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina. And if I climb up to the top of the roof and if I look right straight up to the Great White North, almost a direct eye line, I can see Crystal on top of Lake Ontario on Mount Ontario probably shivering her ass off because she's Canadian and uh, <laughs> she is my co-host for tonight and we are thawing her out just long enough to join us here on DDP Radio. Welcome to the show again, Crystal, my favorite co-host. Thank you so much. You're my favorite too. Uh, I bet you say that's all the boys. No, no, not at all. <laughs> all right. Well, now, okay. So, Crystal, back in a few, you know, a few months ago, we had the DDP yeah. uh, radio unchallenged, if you will. And in the past several months, NXT has started up. WWE, uh, the AEW has started up, and it's created this Wednesday Night Wars: AEW versus NXT versus DDP Radio. So, obviously, mm-hmm. being the front runner in the field. I told you to go out and get us some stars, and you came back with Garrett Sagahara. All right, I'll give yep. you that. It was a mistake. But then I sent you back <laughs> out to the world. I said, get us some real stars. And so you went all the way to the West Coast, and you brought us a real star, somebody who knows what the yep. hell's going on. And uh, uh, without any further ado, I, I guess the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend. So uh, welcome to the show, the one, the only – he is the one that injected the Garrett Sagahara poison into the DDPY universe. <laughs> Tony Moser, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Hi, Tony. <laughs> oh, I am I'm wonderful. Uh, Great. That's all the time I got. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, well, we thank you for joining us. Yes. Good talk. Um, good talk. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, we, we, it's three. It's about three minutes longer than we lasted about two weeks ago when. I somehow managed to shut this whole thing down. I'm, I'm yeah, very technological. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, beyond I'd, that point. So, I'd like uh, to apologize for bringing Garrett into the mix. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's well, like a monster Garrett, that you release and you don't mean to release. <laughs> Garrett tried to, t- for a while now, he's been saying like, oh, you got to meet Mosher. You and Mosher are the same people. You and Mosher are the same people. I got to put you guys in touch. So finally, you know, we hook up on Facebook and, and, you know, we're very like-minded and stuff. And to be honest, when he came on last week and told me the origin story of how he got here, I was heartbroken. 
because I'm I was why would you do that to me? I know, I know, and I apologize. It's it's a, I really did it for his parents. His parents are saints, and um, I'm assuming they adopted him. So. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I told and you I, a story. Uh, like, uh, oh, sorry, man. No, go ahead. I was coughing. It's it's not oh. the virus. <laughs> I, I was I said this a few <laughs> weeks ago. You know, I, we always trade clips with Garrett and stuff. And I posted something underneath something he posted, and I started thinking to myself, I'm like, eh, that may have been a little off color for Facebook, and I'm second guessing myself. And then my first like on it was Annie Sakahara. I'm like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, they they were the kind of uh, everybody's parents because everybody else was except for Garrett was was from somewhere else, and so they'd always let us come over for you know Thanksgiving or any kind of food or you know they were kind of everybody's parents out there. So um, it's unfortunate they have someone like Garrett, but it's good that he's far away that they can move on <laughs> with their life. Well, well, we know we know we know Garrett's very lawyered up, so I'm, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to lay off him for a minute or two That's just to kind of to quell. So, first things first. Um, oh, he told us a story about how he got involved, but tell uh, everybody how you kind of went out to California and, and you hooked up with him, and you guys were pretty creative for a while. You guys traded a lot mm-hmm. of different uh, creative projects uh, back and forth. Uh, so, uh, how did you get to know everybody, and how did you get out there and and hook up with him. Uh, I was living in Seattle. I was doing stand-up comedy, uh, doing very well for myself, working at the uh, greatest bars in Montana, uh, going to jail at one point. Long story, you know, tell about that later. Uh, moved to uh, Los Angeles 2006, tried to get a job, and had to, uh, the only job available that I could get apparently was at Kinko's. And so I was taking over for this delivery uh, job, which I've never been to Los Angeles in my life. So let's do a delivery job. And so uh, met Garrett and we were in the break room and we were talking about wrestling. Cause I don't know how he brought it up, but I talked about, I was at WrestleMania. Uh, is that the one that Brock Lesnar almost died doing the moonsault or whatever? Is the and one so, in Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. Safeco. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's like, Oh, I was, I think it was 19. Like, oh, you, yeah, and uh, so I was like, oh, I was at that too. So uh, that's how we kind of bonded. It's it's weird because you have wrestling and, and metal. Metal heads will bond over that. And so we just kind of went from there, and then I met his roommate, and they are in a band at the time. And I don't remember how we started. Um, it just kind of happened. We just started shooting sketches or something, and then we wrote a, wrote a screenplay and um, – yeah, kind of just snowballed from there. Wow, that's. I mean, I. I. That's one thing I miss about Los Angeles. I don't miss very mm-hmm. much, but you know, out there, you mean down here in North Carolina, you talk to, to a waiter and they're like, "Oh, I, I'm an actor." It's like, "Oh, you're an actor." What do you, you know? L. A. Everyone's got an agenda. Everyone's out there for something. Yeah. And I miss that creative, communal creative. Because no matter where you're living, what apartment you're living in. There's a bunch of people right. who want to do what you do. So there's that ability to bond and get creative with stuff. And with no budget, you almost have <laughs> to be creative outside of actually being creative. You have to be creative to be creative. And, right. uh, and it's kind of the fun stuff. Well, it's funny because looking back, we held auditions for because we're going to shoot a music video for their band. And looking back on it, it's 
it was really bad. But at the time, we just lived, they lived in this house. We just got this poster board that said audition or something and taped it onto the chain link fence. And we just needed <laughs> girls for the video at this North Hollywood uh, house. And nobody showed up except one girl with her boyfriend that was very suspicious. And so we were wondering why nobody showed up to this audition. And then looking back on it, you know, I don't know why you'd show up at a random house. That's a dateline audition. Yeah. It was literally <laughs> Sharpie that said audition. Yeah. But, oh. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, our so, little story there. So, and you kind of got, uh, uh, unceremoniously, besides being a fan, thrown into the wrestling mm-hmm. universe through your connection with DDP, which you were telling me off the air. Uh, you guys mm-hmm. did that Pizza Man movie uh, together with Frankie Muniz, which actually had a bunch of, like, you know, legit, like, big stars in it. Like, if you look at the roster there, I'm like, holy shit, there's a bunch of people here that are, like, killers. And you got hooked up with DDP. How did that happen? Yeah, we, uh, Garrett, entered, one of our, our, our people was uh, this guy named Marco, who's also a horrible person. Uh, but he, he got the job to rewrite this movie, and so I got to go audition for this part. And so I got the part naturally because I'm a gifted actor to come out of a outhouse. And uh, we got done shooting, and then Mark Marco's like, "Hey, you want to meet DDP?" I'm like, "Yes, I do." And so uh, I think I met him in the trailer, or met him outside of the trailer, or something. And then we we're gonna take a picture, and he's like, "No, we got to do the diamond cutter sign." I'm like, "Okay." And so then we just go h- hang out in this trailer, and I made the mistake of calling it yoga when it was YRG, and um, and then I just sat back and watched him and Frankie Muniz have a conversation about McDonald's and uh, crappy food and all that kind of stuff where he wouldn't, he wouldn't eat it. So, um, yeah, I kind of snowballed from there. And uh, I realized I just said snowball twice in this conversation. Um, <laughs> but after that, I, I, um, I emailed him like, hey, if you ever need a video editor for anything, let me know. I'll trade it for wrestling stories, thinking that he's not going to respond to me. And then, like, uh, I don't know, a couple of days later, he emailed me. He's like, Hey, have you ever done exercise videos? And I, I hadn't, but I was like, absolutely. And so I was kind of the, I guess, beta, if you will, of, uh, of kind of what he does now. So I just would shoot video at his apartment and different cooking sessions, uh, or little videos here and there. And then he would tell me these crazy wrestling stories. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you, did you, were you the one that did all those in the park, the DDPY in the park out there and, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, one of them I did because he called me. He's like, "Hey, he's like, hey, bro, uh, what are you doing this weekend?" I was like, "Probably nothing." Do you want to go shoot a video with me and Chris Jericho? I'm like, "Hmm, let me think." <laughs> uh, yes, and so it was such a weird day because I we meet at the park and there's like a softball game going on or a kids soccer game or something, and we're just here in the corner and Dallas brings out a stereo and I'm just shooting DDP and Jericho doing yoga. I'm like, this is the weirdest day of my life. <laughs> and, and then we go back to Dallas's uh, place and I'm shooting them eating breakfast, talking about Eddie Guerrero. I'm like, I remember this is that awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, I remember that too. Yeah. So it was really cool. But, um, but it's cool. Cause he would, he would always, uh, whatever work I did for him, he'd always kind of trade off and, you know, get me backstage at raw or, or have me meet this person or that person or, so it was fun. And then I brought Garrett in because he was asking about it. And so I'm like, well, I guess I can bring him in. So, 
Garrett paid his fee. Oh, yeah. Are you getting the cut of that that, that deal? Because, you know, finder's fee and everything? Yes, yes. 10%. 10%. So, and and then you went on to form Color Me Bad, that uh, four-piece boy band from the 1990s. Um, How did you get into that situation? That wasn't easy. It was a lot of auditioning and, um, you know, I was in the Mickey Mouse Club for at least 15 years. And so uh, I can finally grow a little mustache and, uh, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> wow. You were the one with that really cool, like, facial hair, right? The the, the perfect five o'clock shadow? Yeah. Uh, it was <laughs> breathtaking, man. Breathtaking. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Crystal, uh, Crystal reached out to yeah. Tony. Um, uh, and, you know, we were talking about you on the um, episode with Garrett, and I didn't realize that you had kind of been a DPY guy, too. I knew you had been around and been with everybody, but mm-hmm. I didn't know you were actually uh, using the program, and you told me off air that, like, you really kind of depended on it last year uh, when it came to uh, squeezing into your tux for uh, getting married. Congratulations. Thank but, you. But, uh, so you, you, you said on and off now. You've been doing it for a while now when you need to, like, you know, tone up or for an event or something, or just, right. you know, pull, pull it out occasionally. Um You've seen it grow, obviously, from the kitchen of DDP's uh, uh, kitchen in L.A. to uh, where mm-hmm. it is now. Uh, what's your thoughts? I mean, it's kind of insane to see something kind of go from the bottom up like that. It's it's weird. Well, first of all, like, I always like uh, DDPY. I always use it kind of as a secret weapon kind of thing. It always kind of works when if I'm not being lazy and I can just go and, and use it. And because I had bought this jacket for my wedding and I put it on, and it was fat guy in little coat from Tommy Boy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to use this. I'm gonna. I'm not going to trade this out. I'm just going to work at it and get into it. And you know, it doesn't take long to to slim down on that kind of stuff. So it worked perfectly for that. Um, as far as where Dallas was before, where he is now, obviously it's all my doing, and I made Dallas, as you know. <laughs> obviously. Mm-hmm. Obviously, but it was cool because he he'd always talk like back then. You know, someday my my goal is to open up a, a center like he has now and have have like a TV studio and have his own cooking station like he does now. And so it's really cool to see where it was before with my crappy little camera, you know, and just trying stuff out um, to where it is now. You know, I forgot your question. You. No, you know, you, that's perfect because you, you, you put it that way. And, you know, I've been around him, you know, long enough. And he'll be in the car. We'll be driving somewhere for like four hours. And he starts talking about all this shit that he's going to do. And I know you've been mm-hmm. around actors and, and wrestlers and famous people. And they're always just yammering on, like bullshit and like, oh, right. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And, and, you, and you're, you know, cordial. Oh, cool, cool. Dallas is the only guy I know that just comes up with a spark of an idea and then will not finish until he sees it through. He's the only person like yep. that that I actually know to fantasize about all this crazy shit he's going to do and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to see. And it's, I guess that's one of the things I miss about, I guess, LA is, is there were a lot of those people, but, um, but yeah, I never, I never really had any doubt that he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it. I didn't know how he would do it, but he just doesn't, he doesn't stop. Like no. all the work that he did before, like, you know, before he got all the, moved to Atlanta and all that kind of stuff where he was given classes at his, at his house and, 
you know, flying here and there and, and just where it wasn't, it didn't really take off yet. You know, I was there when he did made the transition from YRG to DDPY or yoga. So, um, they're just kind of cool to see where it's at, but. Have you been to the performance center, Tony? What's that? Have you been to the PC? No, not yet. No. I no, I wanted to fly over there, but um, I just I I haven't done it yet. Also, Jake yeah. said I'm not allowed there for some reason. Oh mm. well, that that brings me to that question because, man, you talked about you said something right before we went on air. The intro is hidden, and you're finishing up, you know, telling me this, and I'm like, I gotta find out what's going on air because I have I think I pretty much have the exact same story as you, <laughs> just a different way around. But tell me this. So you were tasked to pick up Jake the Snake Roberts for something out on the West Coast, I assume. Uh, yes. Is clueless in on that because I got to hear this. Um, yeah, so Dallas called me and said, hey, uh, can you come pick up me and Jake at LAX? And I'm like, with my car? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Jake's really tall, as you know, and I had a hatchback Ford Focus, and he called it the Flintstone car. And um, his knees were pretty much up to his ears. It was really small. But so I picked them up. This first time I met Jake. Well, I met him at a signing, but that doesn't really count. But I picked him up, and we're driving around trying to find this burger joint. And um, Dallas is in the back. And as Austin says, he's the tallest 6'4 guy, so he has to kind of lay out there. But I felt bad for both of them because it's just such a tiny car. And I again, I'm just driving, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm sitting. I'm in driving Jake the Snake Roberts and DDP to go get a hamburger. <laughs> like, this is such a weird life, weird life, but yeah. Oh, that that just That's made awesome. me laugh so hard because you talked the Ford Focus in 2004. I I, I start. I was working for a wrestling company. I wrestled for like a year and a half, and I blew up my shoulders, and then I started doing like all kinds of like just other shit for them while I was kind of doing my full-time radio gig, you know, it was mostly just a, a, a passion for wrestling. Right. But I get home, I got the next morning, I, I wake up one morning and we got this big show. It's like a, the guy who ran our company, like won the Powerball $66 million, like back in the day. And he was one of the wow. boys and then he just started running shit. But, you know, to this day, he's still one of the top guys in the Cauliflower Alley Club and all that stuff. But he put a lot of money into this one big show that was coming up and it had everybody it had the Road Warriors, but Hawk didn't make it because he passed away a week earlier. Um, but it was supposed to be the Road Warriors, but it was Road Warrior Animal. It was Teddy Biasi, wow. the Barbarian, Jake the Snake, uh, not Jake the Snake, uh, uh, Brutus Beefcake, Greg Valentine, just a bunch of huge names from the 80s, Keto Santana. So they said to me, they wow. said, well, you go pick up a crew of guys at the airport. In 2004, I had a 2001 Saturn, one of those plastic cars that are just <laughs> oh, yeah. a four-door sedan. And right. uh, like they literally, like... Like, I, at my best weight, had trouble fitting in there. So I had to pick them up. And when I get there, I didn't realize they were all coming from Florida. So it was Animal, Road Warrior Animal, Teddy Biasi, and Greg Valentine all squeezing into this car. (laughs) And I swear, I heard there was scraping every time I hit a a pothole or a bump, the car would bottom out. (laughs) And they were, I've never seen a group of disgruntled people in my life like that when I pulled up in that car they looked at me and like are you kidding me but not but the thing is 
we had like a few stops to make before we even made the rest. So we had to get to the to the hotel and from the hotel because it was kind of a ways away from the airport. It was the most uncomfortable drive, and I just apologized the entire time. <laughs> well, it, so Jay kept on going. Are you ribbing me? Are you ribbing me? So I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> no, I'm I'm seriously lost. I don't, and I didn't know where the the hamburger joint was either. But it was just funny but uncomfortable. But um, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I've kind of realized that people who hang out with wrestling circles all have similar stories, just replace certain elements because like we all run, everyone runs into the same bullshit problems just with different <laughs> participants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, like so, Dallas, uh, it's, it's, Dallas um, I try to make sure I drove, or he made sure I drove, which is good because Dallas will, as he's driving, eat like a bowl of salad, uh, checking his Twitter, eating a sandwich. He's most distracted <laughs> driver, so we're like, let me. How about how about we drive? And then Garrett would send me pictures with just the, an empty salad container on the floor. He's like, guess who I just took to the airport? <laughs> like, huh. He, he will make meals in the, he will construct meals out of his backpack in the front seat. Like, yeah. give it to the guy. Like, he's committed. Like, on the road, you, they say you can't be healthy on the road. That's bullshit because he's healthy yeah. every time. But he will make a better meal than I've had all week out of his backpack. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the food is great. Like, one time he called me. He's like, hey, do you want to come over for uh, Christmas uh, dinner for Christmas. I'm like, sure. And then I show up and he's like, this is all gluten and dairy free. I'm like, well, this is going to taste like garbage. And then, <laughs> but it was really good. I'm like, wow. I didn't, I didn't know. He kind of changed me to that too, where it's like, you can actually have good food, you know, but. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's, cool. that's I mean, we have you know, we have a lot to talk about, you know, a lot of uh, similarities between us all, but mm-hmm. the road stories are, make me laugh because, you know, you've been a guy who's driven them around a lot, you know, as I have. And this, uh, mm-hmm. the stories are so funny. We were in this podunk town in New Hampshire. I was bringing him to do TV at some Boston TV station and um, like a news station. Um, and we're, we're, we stop at this diner in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, okay, well, so he walks in and you know, because you've been with him, obviously, you know, when he orders a meal, it's an event. There are several <laughs> plates across the table. There's every different kind of everything. And in this town, they don't they didn't even know what gluten free was. So he's trying to like right. ask the waitress about this and he's speaking another language to her. And <laughs> so we get we get time to pay the bill and he pulls out, you know, it was like an American Express card or something and, and they're like, We don't take that here and so I'm like Oh Jesus! So I'm running down the street with my my, my debit card with four dollars in it to get cash out, and it, at this diner that doesn't even take credit cards. So it's oh, it's it was, just, it was hilarious. And then the, the funny thing is the next <laughs> exactly the next week on TV that exact diner was on TV because it was during the election process. And for some reason, you know, Donald Trump was doing one of those walkthroughs where you know you you go to a local you know establishment and try their beer or whatever and right. some guy started yelling at him and I'm like oh my god that's literally the table we sat in last week it was on like the nationwide news because this guy's yelling at him in a diner that's <laughs> awesome. yeah but, yeah no that's one like, time it's, it's uh, story, yeah he uh another day he call- I love when he calls me and asks me if I want to do this like 
he's like calls me and he's like, Hey, do you want to go drive down to San Diego and hang out with Goldberg? Like you oh never have God. to ask me if I want to do that, you know, because <laughs> he wanted to shoot uh, Goldberg doing some DDP yoga. But the day before he rolled his four wheeler on himself and something that uh, it would kill a normal man, but he was just a little sore. So he didn't do the, didn't do the workout, but it was fun to hang out over there. Oh man. In, it's in, was it San San Diego you said? Yeah, like outside of San Diego, but yeah. Oh wow, that's crazy. And yeah. you know, you, you you talked about you know you you did all this stuff, you know, all the video stuff, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of people will take advantage of you know the fans or or, or, or amateurs or, or people just starting out to get free stuff. Right. DDP was always one of those guys that if you helped him, he would take care of you. He'd bring you with him. He'd bring you along to the shit that he did. He was always really good to people like that. Right. And, uh, you know, you're proof of that. Well, yeah, he even offered me a job out in in um, Georgia, but I just moved back to Washington. I'm like, I've been away from Washington for eight years. I'm like, I don't want to move again. And so I was like, you know, there's this kid in Los Angeles named Gary or Garrett or something. Uh, if you want to pick him up, he might work for, I don't know, a week or so. So that's how Garrett was formed. <laughs> Uh, but so, yeah, even even so then, grace- he, was, he was trying to bring me on. <laughs> so that you know, it's it really is. It's it's one of those situations that like you know, you scratch my back long enough, and I'll I'll take care of you on the other end. Mm-hmm. And uh, you Which, did a lot of work because you're just mentioning the stuff that you did. You know, I remember all that stuff from back in the day when I was you know first getting involved in all this racket. You know, right. And it's weird to think that he let me in his house. Like, he didn't know me. Like, he didn't know what I was going to do, you know. <laughs> but. Yeah. He, and, you know, not not to go on the, the put over Dallas hour, but he but, is. He's one of the most people that is just, like, you don't see that kind of decent people in the world. Because, mm-hmm, I, yeah. I don't know about you, but especially being out in California for so long, whenever you see something like that, you all, your first thought is, it's a con, it's a work, or he's phony, mm-hmm. or he's bullshit. Like, I've never seen a more genuine person. And he talks with such intensity, and he's gruff, and he's large. So you expect him to be, like, a certain way, and he's right. just so genuinely decent in a way that you don't really see. So you don't know how to take that sometimes. You're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, and then you're like, oh, he's actually a, a good person. Uh, yeah, I don't know and, how to and- respond to this. <laughs> Yeah, because if it was the other way around, I wouldn't let him in my house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, or any stranger, that some kid, you know. But it's true, especially being in a position like him, where there's a million people that can take advantage of the celebrity or whatever. Um, he's trusting to people, and he, he lets people in. He lets people in. Like I don't know. He remembers names, and he remembers people, and he has close relationships with so many people that I. I'm still not convinced that there isn't like four or five body doubles walking around because I don't know how you can give so much personal time to people in that short yeah. amount of time that you have during the day. Yeah. I don't understand how certain people do it. Him, there's Jericho, there's uh, some other kind of celebrities I can't think of off the top of my head, but they're just everywhere. I'm like, how do you sleep? Like how right. do you do other normal things? You know, yeah. it was really amazing at 
summit when we all went to summit because it was exactly like that. He would be at one part of the room and you could always tell where he is because Mm -hmm. there's a crowd of people around him all the time. But man, he worked that room like nobody's business and he was so gracious. You know what? Yeah. He, um, and he knew everybody. Right. I don't know. I don't know how he does it. He, I don't know how he does it. He's very gracious. I don't remember people's names. We'll be at a party and uh, I'd say, hello, nice to meet you. He's like, yeah, we met before. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, like I can remember That's Molly Crew lyrics from 20, 30 years ago, but I can't remember Steve or whoever right? I'm meeting, you know. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's uh, my wife has to, we have like a whole system set up. My wife and I to, to just let me know if I've met someone before. Because it's so mm-hmm. hard, like <laughs> I mean, you know, especially when it's it's her side of the family. It's like I've met right. so many people so many times, and you all look the same to me. It's I don't yeah. really know who's who. Yeah, we, the, the key is what's that? One? I was going to say we have a system too, where I'm like, if I don't say, if I don't introduce you, that means I don't remember who they are. <laughs> That's actually true. Oh. Hmm. You know, my my wife. If I've met them, they said if I've met if I haven't met them, my wife will go, "Hey, Mike, let me introduce you to so and so." And if I have, she goes, "Mike, remember so and so?" And then that's oh. like, oh, like we've, we've met. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it helps. But then I just call everyone man anyway, so it's like I'm, yeah, everyone's just hey man, what's going on? It's just making yeah. it easier, like the bro thing with with DDP, and <laughs> it's kind of a catch all. Yeah. Hey, you. <laughs> hey, looking good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or um, you know, it's it's so hard nowadays too because like I don't a lot of my friends that I've kept up with like I've I still contact them via text and stuff, but I've moved away from home so long ago that like everyone's mm-hmm. different and changed. So I actually don't recognize people that I actually speak to on a daily basis. So I don't know how I'm going to recognize people I don't speak to ever. Oh, yeah. That happened to me, um, I don't know, three or four months ago where I was shooting a, a thing for these bands that came to town. And a couple of people came up to me because um, they've talked to me on Facebook. And I know I just stared at them like an idiot. Like I have no idea who you were because they would just tell me their first name. And I'm like, okay, who are you? But I didn't want to say that. So I'm like, hey, guy. <laughs> just there you are. There's no follow-up question. <laughs> yeah, just just social awkwardness and just uh, just dive off a cliff. So. Oh. Yeah, well, that's, you know. Now, I got to ask you, so obviously you went out to California because you wanted to do comedy or acting or music or a combination of mm-hmm. all of it. So when you got out there and you kind of lived that life a little bit, you got some parts, you started doing some stuff. Did you, did it make you crave it more or did it make you realize that you don't want that as much um, as I, you thought you did? I think I just got burnt. It's, it's the, uh, the term, once you figure out how the sausage is made, you don't want to have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Or once you find out Santa Claus yeah. isn't real. Um, oh. It's not as cool. I know. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Um. <laughs> But it was it was one of those things where I kind of it got to the point where I just kind of checked things off the box, or checked the box, you know, off the list, and and then I kind of did it, and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with leaving, like I'm tired of 
traffic. I'm tired of my rent being more than mortgages back home, you know, and everybody's kind of moving away anyway. And I'm just kind of, I just kind of over it. Yeah, California always seemed like it was like extended summer camp for a lot of people. We're going to go out here and mess around and be idiots for a while, and then we're going to go back home to our real lives. It was so many right. people, and it's. I realized, you know, when I was out here, and well, up up north in, in Boston and stuff, I was doing radio full time, and I kind of had a pretty much, you know, a little bit of a name for myself over there. A lot of people knew me in town, and go somewhere, and people would, you know, buy you a drink and stuff. So I thought, like, oh, cool, I'm kind of getting a little a leg up here. And then you go out to California and you realize there's a million people just like you and nobody gives a shit. So you go, you go to like a big fish in a small pond to a yeah, a dead fish in a giant pond, you know. And you're just like, <laughs> that's oh, what well. happened to me. None of these. Like I was, I was doing pretty not not well, but as far as like confidence wise, stand up. I was I was my shows were, I do well more than I didn't, and so I thought, okay, I got I got that under control. I'm just going to go to L.A. now and. And they're going to think I'm amazing. And I did my first show of jokes that killed like a month ago and nothing. I'm like, oh, crap. They don't care. I guess my jokes don't work down here. So um, it kind of, I don't know, kind of took the air out of it a little bit. And I'd have shows yeah. once in a while that would do well. And I kind of got over it. I got into stand-up just to get to L.A. So it wasn't like I was trying to be a famous comedian or whatever. But Thank God. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the like, that's kind of where I was heading for. Like up and up in New England, I kind of could you know get some decent gigs because all the big comedy clubs uh, were being sponsored by the radio. So I just right. put myself as the as the as the feature in like do a, a big headline and or, and they'll laugh mm-hmm. because like it's it's, it's a, you know you, they know you so. You get out to California and you realize that oh that's not going to work anymore. So I kind I kind of went total hack. And I just, I hooked right. up with a bunch of bands. Like at rock, I went hooked up with a bunch of rock bands and I literally stole Chris Farley's act and did hype shit in between bands, did some tour managing and stuff. <laughs> but like, I went total, like if I, I would be ashamed to go show it to legit comics, what I kind of settled for, but I was making enough to pay my rent. So I'm like, I don't care. But the funny thing is, is I will sit here and watch TV and judge someone and call them a shill for selling out stand up. I will I will oh, yeah. blast them on TV. I'll be, I'll be like, you're you sold out to the man. You're doing the Tonight Show. Da, 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 da. And then meanwhile, I would like I would sell my soul for like, <laughs> like a, a gig with with, <laughs> with yeah. L.A. Guns in the fuck friggin' Cat Club in 2004. Oh God, I would sell my soul to, for an L.A. Gun show now. <laughs> or or no, Cinderella, it's, it's, or yeah. Oh man, I. I I did all those like package tours and stuff with those '80s bands. I went. I was mm-hmm. I was pretty much passed around the '80s circuit for a while. Like, um, but no, I actually it was that was a lot of fun too. But a lot of those guys are a, are a handful. So, oh yeah, but like you yeah. said, once you see how the sausage is made, yeah, <laughs> once, it's once a gross analogy, but it's true. <laughs> I I think my last I think my last stand up show or one of the last ones. Cause there's times where like, man, ah, maybe I, maybe I can still go do this. Maybe I enjoy it. And so a friend of mine is like, Hey, we got a show going at the uh, coffee house in North Hollywood. I'm like, cool. That sounds kind of cool to do a coffee house. And so we show up and they're, they're setting up seats in the parking lot. I'm like, what's going on? Well, this is where the show is. 
So they did, like, they taped it off like a, a murder scene, chairs out, and there's a little, like, amp that you hook up into your first guitar you ever, you ever played. And so we did the show out on the sidewalk, and there's ambulances going by, and then suddenly this homeless man who doesn't speak English starts heckling me, and I don't know what to do with it. And so they, they stop the show, and they take the guy out back, and I don't know what happened. But but anyway, so that was uh, that was probably <laughs> the last show. I was kind of like, you know what? I'm kind of I'm kind of over it. It seems you know, very you know, boring. People... Yeah. Yeah, like it seems completely foreign. I just wow. But yeah, but keep in mind, Crystal, you live in an igloo on top of a mountain, so right. You know, yeah. True story. Be fair. To be fair. To be fair. that room. That's, you know. <laughs> you play there. But um so you know, kind of to wrap it up, we try to keep it take a little motivational tone here, you know, sure. on the show cuz it's DDP radio and DDP right. you know all about that and stuff. So, you know, you, you you didn't go you didn't become what you hoped for out now. Like you didn't become the mega star you thought you were going to be or hoped you would be. But I think there's a lot to be said and it's so underrated because they talk about people going out to LA and not making it. I think there's a lot right. to be said for going out there and doing it and trying it and being active in that scene and realizing that it wasn't what I wanted all the time because they're, it's cliche, but there's always that, well, what if I never tried it type of thing? Like you got that, you checked those boxes, you went out there, you gave it a good shot. You didn't quit. You you didn't fail. You realized that, you know, maybe I like to, maybe I was more content, maybe happier back home, if you will. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, I, uh, that was one of my biggest things. Like, I never wanted to have any regrets. Like, man, I wish I would have tried to go out to L.A. just to see what happened. And I think that's why it didn't bother me to move back because I felt like I, I did everything I wanted to do. I got to do some pretty cool things. And I think what, what changed my mind, actually, was I had my uh, – what was it, my 20-year reunion? Yeah, my 20-year reunion. And on paper, I should have been, like, had the coolest job ever working in and editing behind the scenes movies and stuff like that, hang out with wrestlers and whatever. And it was so stressful. I was so unhappy. And I, I went to my high school reunion and I met this couple and they're the happiest people ever. And one worked at like a phone company and one worked at, I don't know, some other place. And I'm here working, you know, living in LA, living the dream quote unquote, and I'm miserable and they're the happiest people ever with, with just normal jobs. And I was like, that's when I kind of realized, like, well, maybe it's time to time to go. Wow. Sorry, guys. Um, that's all I have to say. No. It just, I think it's really amazing to, you know, go through something like that and to admit that, you know, you did it. It wasn't for you because so many people put so much stock in, hey, I'm going to pack up my life and go to L.A. and be a big star. And, you know, it, it's amazing that you came back with, and, you know, kind of just did everything your way instead mm-hmm. of the Hollywood way. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah, like I love, I love, you know, where I'm at now where I have a garden and being married and I have a dog and just normal, normal life stuff is, is a lot more fun than, than worrying about, you know, paying $1,200 a month for a crappy little apartment that you can't really afford, right. you know? Yeah. And, you yeah. Know, best, 
best best case scenario, you, you became the biggest you know comic in the world. You became the biggest you know editor in the world. Whatever. There's this fallacy too that 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 these people who make it to the top are happy, and they're just they're probably more miserable, like you said, than the average couple living on two you know salaries, a big right. level house in in Seattle or Carolina or Canada. But the difference is they have to pretend professionally that they're happy, and it's the most right. shallow, miserable existence. And sometimes they legit are content, and sometimes they're happy. But more often than not, there's a whole lot of right. problems because I think you've probably been around enough people to know that success and money don't equal happiness. Actually, some of the most successful and happy uh, and, and rich people I know are the most unhappy and miserable people. Uh, mm-hmm. The difference is we don't have to put the veneer of happiness on. We can just complain on Facebook like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, like like a real adult. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, oh, what, what money blessed. Is, yeah, blessed for life. Um, w- one of the things that started to um, ruin the magic of L.A. is I was at a, a party, which this part was cool because uh, certain people show up at parties that you're not expecting, like, back when I was a smoker, I was outside smoking and, and the guy that played Biff from back to the future just walks in. I'm like, that's weird. Oh my God. <laughs> and then <laughs> like Corey, Corey Haim was supposed to come to that party, but he didn't want to be around alcohol. Um, but uh, point of my story, uh, point of my story. So um, this was, this is before the, the classic Yogi bear movie came out like 10 years ago. And uh, there was a guy there who was up for an audition for Yogi bear. And he he stayed in character as Yogi Bear the whole party, and I wanted to throat punch him really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so that I'm kind of started the downhill of the magic of Los Angeles. I don't know if this is the forum to, to go on this rant, but I'm going to go there anyways. Is there any more pretentious people than actors in the world? Like, we oh, celebrate God. the most dim-witted people <laughs> on the planet. And all I know. heroes. And give them awards, and it's just. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's it's so true. Like everyone's got like this uh, superiority complex out there, and I'm trying not trying not to take it down the negative uh, to the negative place, but in, it really is. You got to put yourself in a place where you feel comfortable, and after a while, like the the the, the new car smell of it all wears off, and then the glitz and glamour of it, right. twelve hundred dollar shitty apartment or whatever we're living in right now wears off pretty quickly and suddenly you're kind of brought into the reality of the situation that the chances of me breaking out here are astronomical. I have to be like extraordinary talented or extraordinary lucky. And so you really got to, it, it takes a real lot of, of self-realization and, and uh, uh, self-awareness to think like maybe this dream is worth giving up on to go and do what I actually want to do at home. Like, that's a huge moment because so many people who commit to that are so terrified of going back because to them that yeah. equals I'm coming back home with my tail between my legs when ultimately yeah. there's probably a more fulfilled life there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that was always the fear. Like, cause I, I started thinking about moving back like, a couple of years before that. And you had that like, Oh, I failed at this and whatever. But it got to the point where like, even if you made it quote unquote made it, now there's a whole other headache. You gotta, you know, you gotta stay there, and then things change. And like, do you have that much commitment? And I just like, I didn't. I just was, 
they dove into it and was like, this is cool. Now I'm ready to go home. You know, to normal people. <laughs> I, I got to I gotta say, though, if, if I had a chance to do it all over again, I don't know about you, I think my problem with stand-up comedy, where, where I went wrong, was I actually tr- wanted to be good. I tried to be good. And then I realized 10 years later that all I had to do was put up a YouTube video of me truffle shuffling on top of a buffet <laughs> table and I would have been loaded. Like, of course. <laughs> the stupid stuff that's becoming like, I'm like, oh, I made the problem of actually trying to be good. Like, I wasn't yeah. good, but I tried. Like, all I had to do was, like, be lower than I was. Well, I don't, I don't get it. Like, go back to, like, Garrett and I making sketches or something. We'll make, like, we made a sketch on sleep apnea, which was pretty funny. And I got whatever hits. And then you look on YouTube, uh, you know, child flips a bottle and lands flat, 100 billion views. And I don't understand who their social manager is or how do they get those many views, you know. The the rage that pulses through my heart right now. Mm, I'm so angry right now, and I'm missing the heat of the night marathon, but I'm taping it, so we're good. Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, don't worry. Make sure you stay up late because I'll I'll be there in about six hours. I can play into my oh, take six hours. Good, good. <laughs> but no. Oh, we're gonna we gotta wrap things up uh, just here a little bit. Um, but real quick, uh, so you're out there in, in Seattle. But the pro- the great thing with the internet is it's allowed us to be creative outside of that hub of LA. If you look at things like right, you know, nothing's even filmed in Los Angeles anymore from like a major studio you know perspective. Do you still enjoy being creative? Do you still enjoy like the you know, getting together with some friends, whether online or at home or whatever, and, and working on stuff, whether writing or videos or whatnot? Because there really is a freedom to be able to do that now that wasn't there when you were out there. Nope. No. Um, nope. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. I have to like create all the time. Like I'm always like I do like music videos for bands here. I'm working on a documentary right now. I always try to give myself some kind of big project for the year because I, I just can't I just can't sit around and, and do nothing. It it drives me crazy. So um, um yeah, I don't I don't shoot like sketches or anything because I'm Tri Cities, uh shout out to Tri Cities, uh where I live is there's not a whole lot of uh you know, there's not like an improv troupe or actors no. just walking the streets. So like so I don't do so much of that, but I've been doing the other things. You shared that documentary, uh, the stuff on Facebook uh, about that, and like when I heard you were doing stuff like that, like I expected it just to be like the shit that I do, just dumb, like you know, filming stupid shit and calling myself a filmmaker. I didn't realize you were actually good at it. So, but like you look at that, and I'm like, holy shit, that I want to watch that documentary. Like, what's going on with that? Because I'm excited to see that. Yeah, it's, um, I was feeling kind of bad because I was taking a while to get everything shot. But there's a documentary on The Gorge, and they said it took five years for them to make that. I'm like, okay, well, it's not going to take me that long. But the, the project that I'm doing is basically the um, kind of the history of the music scene here in the Trace Cities because it's <clears> – during <throat> the whole Seattle explosion thing, that was going on, but there was also a, a scene here. And there's a lot of great musicians that come out of here. Uh, Nate from the Foo Fighters, he's from here. And there's, uh, I don't know, a ton of other ones. I can't remember off the top of my head. But there was like this punk rock scene in like the 90s. And then it, it's kind of, 
uh, morphed into something else. But I go back to like the eighties and talk about, talk to bands from the eighties about how the music scene was here. And then the nineties and talk to kids now that are in the music scene and how it's changed with social media and, and how it's, you know, there's really no record labels anymore in TV or, you know, stuff like that. So it's kind of a combination of the history of the music scene here and kind of what it takes to make it as a musician anymore. That's amazing. Uh, that's, I, I love that. And if you yeah. guys get a chance to check it out, uh, do you have a, like a, a website or anything? Because you put up that teaser and it was really, it really intrigued me. Yeah. Um, I don't have a website yet. I, I just have it on the, on the old Facebooks. It's a, uh, what is it now? The All Ages Show. Let me get on my computer machine that I got in front of we'll my have, face. We'll have, to, we'll have you come have to come out come on when it comes uh, comes out again. We'll have to like throw some stuff out there, some links and stuff. But um, yeah, I know with the documentary stuff, in, it, especially like there like, ten years ago, nobody wanted to watch niche documentaries. It was all just these big, right. broad, you know, the '80s, like wrapped up in, in an hour and a half. But right. through the streaming services and the, the affordability of actually shooting some of this stuff now, there's become a market for real niche like documentaries, and those are the ones that fascinate me. I don't want to watch mm-hmm. like a, a, a two-hour documentary on the music of the 1970s glossed over. You're really able to focus in and get it deep into the subjects that weren't there. Like previously, <laughs> this kind of work would only be available to, in like a book form, um, right? And it's probably small published. But now people are so they. The, the history of the 80s or 90s or 2000s has already been so overdone that they're looking to dig deeper. Now there's this, this market for like these little minute like offshoots of music scenes, and I think those are the fascinating ones more than anything now. Well, it's really fascinating talking, especially the uh, the the bands from the 80s where they talk about there was a bunch of rock clubs here, and then karaoke came in and just kind of wiped it out. And so, and then that kind of led the punk scene to kind of come in because they, they started putting on their own shows. They didn't have to wait around for a bar or whatever, you know. So it's been pretty fascinating to hear people's stories. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about it. Every generation has that story of like, well, in my generation it was better because of this, because of this. But I mm-hmm. really fear for like the ability of people to just do live music anymore because everything is, you know, we got to cut budgets and everything's, cheap to do now so it's so do it yourself and it's, you really miss that kind of live music and that element of that scene which probably couldn't be replicated again but I feel there's a lot of uh, a lot of substance in that and I think maybe exploring it would be a cool idea especially on Seattle where there were, or Washington where there was just such a musical history there that has been reported on so much but actually taking a different right. approach with it well, it's weird because back in the day, you could you could just put on a show. You give the guy your deposit, and you put on a show. Your people or your security. Nowadays, you have to have a, a license from ASCAP VMI just in case you do covers. You have to have insurance. You have to have this. You have to have that. And so nobody wants to put on a show anymore. And it kind of makes things you know, it makes the scene suffer. And uh, wow, that's why uh, that's why. Um, I will be appearing live at several karaoke bars over the next few months. Uh, As you should. The, heats of, the hits of Meatloaf live. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Are you going to be sweating, uh, too? Oh, I, you have I'm to be sweating when you sweating. sing Meatloaf. <laughs> 
Yo, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sweaty when I eat meatloaf, let alone sing it. Yeah. Oh, wow. You too. Oh. Yeah, I wake up with back sweat. So. <laughs> I, don't, I don't sweat. I glisten. Oh, well, nice. there you go. Nice. Yeah. You sparkle. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, that's what we call it, right? Yeah. Uh, we so. got to wrap up here. We're, we're 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 close to the end of the hour. We appreciate you coming on, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to finally talk to you. And uh, I've been trading uh, jabs on Facebook and with Garrett and stuff. And Garrett said to me for a long time, "You gotta you gotta get with Mosier. You gotta get with Mosier. You're like the same person." And after uh, an hour with you, I can I can conclude we're pretty close. Except uh, I've, I've got the slight edge on the on the upper body and, and facial features. But <laughs> well, obviously. I think you're doing. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Hashtag blessed. But, um, hashtag blessed. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on. Do you have anything you want to put out there, plug or anything Thanks, like Tony. before we go? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's a lot of fun. It's always fun to uh, talk about Garrett and uh, and to hear my own voice, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. Actually, I guess I'll I'll plug my my funny stepdad book. That's where you got that lovely picture of me on the uh, on the ad that you put oh, up today. I forgot to even talk about that. Yeah, on uh, Amazon. It was actually, I've actually been bootlegged. Some lady took the picture and tried to make mugs. And uh, the the bad thing and good thing is she labeled it uh, Fat Guy Sports. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've never been so furious and laughing in my life. I'm like, that's funny and hurtful at the same time. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, the Funny Stepdad uh, picture book is on Amazon. And I got to say that about that real quick because before I even we were ever hooked up on Facebook and Garrett put it together, he used to share some of your shit, and I would stalk your page because of the stepdad things, and I would go through and I'd, I'd show them to my wife, and those I've never laughed so much, and it's it's a unique sense of humor that only people like me and probably you listening can understand because if you're listening to me for this long, you're probably as warped and disturbed as I am. But um, obviously it's awesome. I absolutely love it. And honestly, because I've, you've been doing that for a while now and in the past couple of years, stepdad or dad bods have become the big thing. You were the originator of the dad bod, man. That was yours. They took that and they went with it. Uh, well, I'm used to people just ripping my stuff off. Uh, well, I, I, I'm sorry about that, man. And I just want to let you know that Mike Mullen's stepdad uh, book will be out on Amazon. <laughs> Wait a <laughs> minute. And, uh, WW like totally different. Of Anyways, Tony Moser's got to go. Mike Mullen's stepdad book, Amazon.com. You bastard. All right, guys. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you for you. coming on, man. Uh, Amazon.com, Tony Moser, and check out his documentary and all his music videos and stuff because he's busy and creative, uh, and he's uh, he's talented at what he does. Which to be that good looking and that talented is 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 kind of unfair to the rest of it's us. It's a crime. We'll give it to him. It's a crime. It's a crime. All right, Crystal, let's fire us off with yeah. the quote of the week. Get us on out of here. Okay. Sure. Just because everyone is going in one direction doesn't mean you should too. Everyone else could be wrong. Well, there we go. There we go. Yep. Perfect. I'm sorry. I was writing. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You taking notes? Yes. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you, Tony. We'll be back uh, next week, I think, with a brand new episode of PDP Radio Live. 
at ddpradio.com. Yep. Make sure you send Garrett Sagahara a message and tell him that Tony's episode was way better. And uh, we'll be back next <laughs> week, and we'll see you guys soon. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Tony. Thanks. We'll you right, thank you. Thanks, Tony. Bye. We're up. Kicked it today, man. That was a great workout, man. The power bomb set up by Page. Oh, oh, diamond cutter. I don't believe it. Diamond oh. cutter out of the power bomb. We're going home. You've been listening to DDP Radio. Tune in again next week for another edition of DDP Radio with more great.